the Convention Collective Sandbox at Portsmouth Comic Con 2019. Okay, well, hello everyone. I'm, welcome to the panel. This is Tommy Lee Edwards. I just a big hand for Tommy from. Hi guys. Everyone knew. <laughs> so we're going to talk about. Well, I guess we're going to talk about a mix of stuff, you know, comics and illustration. And so, what, what was your first comic gig as a professional artist? Was it the milestone stuff? Well, I think um, before that. The first comic book I ever made money on was when I was in high school. I self-published a little black and white thing that was terrible, of course. Um, it was called Eight Ball, not knowing there was an Eight Ball already, of um, because of my limited, you know, knowledge of comics. Um, but yeah, I just printed it myself at the high school. Yes. In the we had a graphics room with a with a printing press, and I made the plates. And it's kind of cool because it was all old school. Oh, nice. So it was a good way to learn. And then I made a deal with some of the local shops and drugstores and stuff to, to sell the sh- to sell the book, and it was it was fun. By the time I had to, by the time I finished it, I had to sell it for like you know four dollars to try and make some money back. Did you, know? you make much money from it? I paid for it, and okay. you know, yeah. And then then I went to California to go to college at Art Center College of Design, and uh, in Los Angeles, and there was a a person looking to do a uh, horror like anthology kind yes. of comic and and um, they were talking to the older kids the older students and they recommended uh, this first year kid which was me and um, um, yeah I got this job and I got I got uh, yeah, 75 bucks a page wow. to do pencils and inks so, right. yeah as a, as a you know yeah, student back in 92 yeah. yes so and then that I was able to use to, you know, build up the portfolio. and So that was kind of my first paying gig. Who published that? Um, whoever the guy is. That did <laughs> yeah, the guy was like yeah. self-published. It was called System Shock. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, but then I showed it to Howard Chaikin, and Howard really liked it, and he recommended my work to Dennis Cowan, and then that led to, to milestone. milestone work. Okay. Yeah. So what did, you know, the art center stuff, that was it. Was illustration, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very traditional kind of education. It was all like drawing and painting from the model, and and uh, uh, you know, yeah, very, very old school, um, uh, but in a good way. It gave you a good grounding because you got to learn about the basic, about the basics, and about the like the backbone of being an artist. Mm-hmm. And then they also taught you about the business of it as well. It wasn't like that school is specifically aimed at you're going to do something in the arts for a living. You know, it wasn't like a lot of universities might have like a fine arts program where, you know, it's, it's you know, and someday you'll be able to teach fine art too, yeah. you know. But, you, but you'll um, be poor. Yeah. You won't be able to make a living for any of this. Yeah, or I think this was a little bit more like, you know, how to actually get a job or run your own business or, you know. Yeah. All these, and they're always on the forefront of of um emerging technologies and stuff so it was it was a good place so tell me about the first meeting with dennis and that work for milestone mm. 
That was a, a terrible. That was this is worse than System Shock. This was, <laughs> really? Um, yeah, because System Shock, at least I did it all myself. This was the first time I didn't understand really the concept of you had a penciler and an inker yeah. and a colorist, and yeah. I just thought like it was just you know more controlled by the the artist and and the writer. Um, so they recommended an inker who well, actually he recommended himself because I shared a studio with him. Who was that? His name was Steve Mitchell. I remember Steve Mitchell. He's around for years. He worked on Batman and Norm Brofogel, and he worked yeah. with a lot of different people. Yeah, he's a terrible inker. <laughs> the stuff was a bit, it was a bit scratchy, and he seemed no, to kind of take all the finesse out of some people. He was really good with certain people, like yes. Norm. Yes. And, um, but we, yeah, we always uh, joked around <laughs> with each other, and he, um, uh, so that was, it was a learning experience, you know? It was kind yes. of. And then while I was doing that, of course you're so hungry. If anything else comes up, you're like, "Yeah, I can do that too." I just won't sleep, or you know. And so I picked up some jobs at Valiant Comics. Yeah. Um, and another person in the studio with us was Mike Vosper, who did, oh, really? did a lot of stuff for Valiant. He did Howard Shakin's American Fly. Again. Yes. And um, so yeah, there was a good community of of us that had a studio in L.A. It was me and Howard and Mike, Sean McManus, yes. um, Steve Mitchell. The worst inker ever, um, <laughs> and um, he also wrote Chopping Mall. You ever hear of that no. movie called Chopping what, Mall? Steve, Steve Mitchell. Yeah, seriously, it was uh -huh. like a horror film. It's it? a horror movie about yeah about a, robots <laughs> that kill people in the mall. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, and then um, it's like it got a huge cult following, and now he mostly does. Um, he doesn't draw anymore. No, he mostly does like uh, he still writes some films and stuff, and he does like a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for oh, movies. Really? You know, like oh, okay. like when you get a DVD, all the little extra stuff and everything. Yes. Interviews people. Um, and um, so, how long were yeah. you in LA for? Only like five years. Oh, okay. So and then and then uh, yeah, I got a Judge Dredd for a very short time. There oh, was that a was the, where, that was the Judge American Judge Dredd comic. Yeah. <coughs> and it was written by John Byrne. Was that a DC book? Yeah, it was DC. That was my first DC job. How did you find that? It was, did you I was work excited. Byrne, you just got the script. You didn't work directly with it. No, it was already done. Yeah, it was already written. And I just got it and did it. And, and there I got to pick the inker. His name is Gary Martin, who was inking. Oh, I remember him. Um, Steve Rude a lot yeah, at the time. He's quite a good inker. Isn't yeah, he? he's That's great. Quite... He's not Steve Mitchell. <laughs> I'm just going to use this whole... Steve Mitchell Time to, 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 right. to, to rip on Steve Mitchell. So after LA, did you move? Did you move to Carolina straight away? No. Yeah, yeah. You did. Yeah, I'm mostly from Detroit, which is in yes. northern, uh, in Michigan, and then then to the West Coast. And well, I was born in Texas. Okay. And and then Michigan. No, my dad was in the Air Force. You know, so you, so moved you know around how a lot when you were a kid. Yeah, and then. Um, but North Carolina, where I live now on the East Coast, is where I've lived for 20 whatever years. Been there a long time. Yeah. It's about 22 years, something like that. Yeah. So you worked on Milestone for quite a while. What was your next comic job after that? It was like the GI. The, um, that came later. Um, was it, it was just the DC Judge Dredd. Yes. And then some Batman stuff. Um, Shadow the Bat, remember that Yes, I book? remember. That was a great book. Um, Detective Comics. Um, you know, just some of that kind of stuff. And then there was a book. They, 
DC launched a new line of books through Vertigo, and it was called Matrix. And then Warner Brothers made them change the name because they had some secret project in the works called The Matrix. And we were like, what's that? Nobody's going to care about that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and so we changed the name to Helix. Yes. And that was a short-lived kind of sci-fi. There were some cool books. Yeah, there, yeah, you had. Didn't Howard did that. Cyberella the, yeah. with, with Don Cameron. That was who, really nice. Who I work with all the time yes. still. Um, and uh, yeah, who did Transmetropolitan? Oh, well, that was Warren Ellison yeah. and Derek Robertson. Yeah, so that came had, out of that and then it went to yeah. Vertigo, but yeah. So you had some nice stuff starting at that time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I did a book called Gemini Blood. That was a really nice book. It's, it still holds up, I think, now. It's, it's in ages, but it was still a really yeah. nice I mean, I'm book. embarrassed by the art now, but, but, you know, but it's at a the good, time, it's a really, it was yeah. a really good project. And the story's great. It's really yes. good. One of the best I've ever been able to draw. That's which is rare to feel really, really good about a story. What was your first film gig in terms of concept? Because Tommy's worked on Harry Potter and Batman Begins and Superman. What was the first film gig you did? Mm, probably some animated stuff that never got made. You know, you get, you get that a lot. You know, like um, since I was living in L.A., I would do jobs doing storyboards and things for everything, anything I could. You know, so it was like a low-budget horror movie or you know some stuff for disney so i do a lot of stuff for disney like the um uh, the animation and then they would always developing projects and i would come up with concepts and then and then eventually you know those movies would either turn into something or not usually not you know so that was kind of where i would start and then you'd start making a lot of connections with people you know like i like working with them or you know they like working with me or you know we keep in touch and then some People would go work at a different company, or lots of times, like there was a movie I storyboarded and did designs for at DreamWorks. It was one of their last hand-drawn movies. Was Sinbad, yes. Legend of the Seven yes, I Seas, that, yes. and the one of the directors on that then ended up going and making games at EA. Yes, and um, and then you know then he asked me to do some stuff on games over there, and so sometimes you have. A lot of crossover. So your time at LA was very useful because it make, you got to make contacts because obviously because it's the home of film and TV. Yeah, I think of, so. Being such a huge industry. And it, and also as time's gone on, you know, the world has just become smaller and smaller with, you know, um, us just being able to do everything over Skype and whatnot. True. So. <clears throat> what about some of the other film stuff? Things like Batman Begins and the Potter stuff that came out because you've been doing a lot of movie stuff. Yeah, also the thing is sometimes it helps if you can do more than just one thing, you know, so if you're doing, um, you know, paintings, we can also do black and white stuff. If you're doing, you know, concepts, um, but you're also doing, you know, costume kind of designs and things. And then with Harry Potter and with Batman Begins, then it was also like, oh, we can also have Tommy go into once we start locking down the designs of things now do stuff that can be released to the public yeah so it was a little bit of concept stuff and things and then eventually it turned into doing more things that would be released for marketing and uh, merchandise you know so in the first harry potter movie it was anything that was like an illustration so it was a calendar or a shirt or a button or you know it was always it was something that i did um that was about I did about 70 illustrations for that kind of stuff. And did you go, I know you went on set for some of Batman Begins, but did you mm-hmm. go on set for Potter as well? Did they mm-hmm. take you around? Or was it all just reference material they gave you? No, everything was like just back and forth. Uh, mostly it was shipping 
discs, like CDs. Back oh, with images, with like reference yeah. images on them. Yeah, and then I would just <coughs> email each other stuff. Well, Batman and... Begins, you were in London. Uh-huh. Because I remember this, so I got a parking ticket at Golden Square. <laughs> I got, actually, I got my car towed. <laughs> oh, Because I met I you for that. dinner. Do you remember? It was you yeah. and... Who was... You were over with... JP, John Paul Leon. I thought, another great artist. Um, so you were over, and they took you to Leavesden, didn't they, for that? No, it was uh, Shepperton. Well, Shepperton, yeah. but they took you around there. Yeah, so we would work there, and... Um, a lot of that was, they were so far along already, it was, um, again, kind of like, how could DC u- utilize what we were doing to, to promote, for, 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 yeah, and merchandising and stuff, but also, a lot of the stuff was, they were, they had plans for, you know, the Batcave, you know, yes. the drafting, you know, production drawings, but nothing of a, in a dramatic sense that could be used as a poster or a shirt. Or, yes. And, and also it made them think ahead about it, help the DP think about how, how would they light it, you know? How yes. would, you know, so how would the Batmobile look if it was jumping through the waterfall into the room, you know? And yes. So, yeah, they were building it, and, it was all, and we would just be sitting there with hard hats on and trying to imagine, okay, how, what if this over here was like this, and you could light this this way, and... It was fun. So you enjoy that because what you're doing is you're helping. It's kind of like problem solving for films to say, you know, this thing it only exists in the production designer's head. Well, so and, much and of you, it is is thinking ahead. Yeah. So it's so it's kind of like how do you shoot this? You know, how do you shoot the Batmobile? Yeah. How do you shoot the Batcave? And how we don't you, have to build that over there because we're not going to see it. You know, no. like that. But kind you of have stuff. to know it exists. Yeah. yeah. And you have to see it in the drawing. They hint at it. But you don't have to finish actually make yeah. the thing. So yeah, it's fun thinking ahead. And then, um, <clears throat> and then the movie I'm most proud of though is the Book of Eli. Of course, and I did a lot of work. We'll get onto that in a, in a moment. In fact, we could talk about that now. I mean, obviously you were very heavily involved with that. I mean, how mm-hmm. did that how did that come about? That was God, that was like <clears throat> it was quite a few years ago now. Fifteen somewhere years. Somewhere be- no, not that. Ten to twelve years. I'd say somewhere between five and ten, which probably means ten to fifteen. <laughs> probably. <laughs> it was a movie with Denzel Washington. It was directed by the Hughes brothers. And um, it's like a post-apocalyptic story. Um, And it had uh, Mila Kunis. And at the time, I didn't know who she was. Um, um, But, yeah, there was just a... Gary Oldman played the villain. Everybody was super cool. And you spent quite a lot of time on set with that, didn't you? Yeah, well, it was mostly about... um, Was it mainly location? No, it was 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 almost all in... Uh, New Mexico in the states, oh, wow. and they would build sets. So a lot of the land out there was owned by the Native Americans. Yes. So the indigenous tribes would sometimes, you know, you would rent certain land from them oh, out, really? out in the middle of nowhere oh, and wow. stuff, and then they'd let you, you know, build something and then tear it down, you know, and and uh, yeah, you look every, you know, anywhere there was no telephone poles or anything, you know, it was, it was pretty cool that you could kind of go out there. And, oh, and I had Michael Gambon. And a very good cast. Yeah, it was great. And everybody was really cool. Everybody all hung out and had fun. And um, what's his name? Ray Stevenson? Yes, the guy from Rome and the guy from yeah. Punisher. And yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they were all, all good. The only guy who didn't, like, hang out was Denzel. He was, like, the first guy to leave, the last really? guy to show up. Yeah, he was like yeah. doing my thing. He's a big guy. Is that what he was? He was a big name. So yeah, I think really, he was. He didn't want to get involved with the the rest of the cast. I don't think so. I think he was just there to work and yeah. whatever, go home. 
But no, so you, so that's that. That's the film job that you're most proud of because it's the one you probably put the most input into. As well, that was I was the only concept artist on that. Oh, really? Now he had you, was it storyboards as well? You no, the storyboards were Chris Weston, who's, of a, who's a guest well, Chris here. Chris is the here, show. yes. And so Chris storyboarded it, and I did the concept art. And what's kind of cool is like we didn't really work together, no. but we were both working with Albert, the director. So yes. Albert, it's interesting to see some of Chris's boards, you know. Uh, compared to some of my paintings, uh, they look very similar, really? and we never even saw what That's the other was doing. So just I think it's, unconsciously it shows, shows no, it shows that Albert's a good communicator. He can communicate the same idea to two different people. Yeah, and I think he wanted. He was always looking forward to see what would the other person come up with. The more ideas, the better. You yes. Know? But and then. Yeah, like half a year later, or whatever. Then I'd go out to the set and go, "Oh my God, there it is! There's that thing we drew." It's actually creative. Yeah, so long ago. And it looks exactly like the paintings. It's where mostly you don't really get that. You know, usually lots of movies, it's sort of, yeah, I can kind of see where 50 of us sort of contributed to that. Where um, this one was, it was a real sense of pride. It was cool. What was your first Star Wars job? You, you obviously, over the years, done quite a few Star yeah, Wars illustration jobs. That's mostly been in publishing. Um, I tried to get a Star Wars job doing, Al Williamson wanted to do the episode one adaptation with me. Oh, really? Because uh, he had done the old adaptation of Empire Strikes Back. Oh, they were fantastic. And yeah. And they asked him to do the new Phantom Menace one. And he was, it was going to be hard for him with his health and his age to be able to, to you know, he knows how much work it is to do a comic. Yes. So he's like, would you want to draw it and I'll ink it? And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then so we worked up some stuff to show to Dark Horse and what mm. we wanted to do with it. Dark Horse was like, eh, Lucasfilm's not going to like it. We're not going to bother showing them. Really? So they never showed it to them. Shit. So my, a good friend of mine, Rodolfo DiMaggio, yeah, of course. was amazing. Phenomenal artist. He ended up doing it. <coughs> so it was kind of cool that it at least was a buddy of mine that did it. And then, um, but I was kind of disappointed that Dark Horse didn't even give me a shot. So I was able to actually just go directly to Lucasfilm mm. And kind of, you know, by networking and figuring out who's a good person to talk to and see if I can get Star Wars stuff. Not not the adaptation, but any Star Wars work. Because knowing that they were going to do three new movies, yes. maybe there'd be a chance. And I did, and I got... You did a lot of licensing material for them. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of children's books, and then they do these books called The Essential Guide to the Essential Chronology and all these things, you know, for uh, Random House, Del Rey, Scholastic, and... All those guys. So I've done a lot of children's books and those these kind of encyclopedia books and book covers and um, eventually I did like a couple covers for Dark Horse because yes. like a, a certain writer was like, "Can we get Tommy to do yes. covers?" And I was like, "I don't know if I'll want to work with Dark Horse." <laughs> um, That's funny. But uh, and then I I'm now doing some covers for Marvel. I saw that. Are they variants? No, they're the, the actual regular covers. As far as I know, they're the they're the oh, only. Okay. But, you know, I never know with those guys. They have, no. like, five covers or whatever. And obviously you did the you did the question series as well, which is really nice. That was around the same time I worked on Batman Begins. Yes. So that was, like, 2004. But that was a lot of fun. That was a really that was, fun series. The question was written by Rick V, <coughs> and we, we based it on the original question by Steve Ditko. And we didn't really pay attention to, which was a great series as well, the Denny O'Neill and Dennis, Dennis Cowan. Cowan. yeah. Another, it's a weird small world. Like well, comics, gives me is, my, comics is always yeah. a small. 
So, which is a great series, but we definitely were Work like for different type. We kind of pretended that that didn't, that exist. didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, let's go from the little bit of stuff that Ditko did in Blue Beetle and stuff. Yes, base the question off of that, and um, that was by far the best superhero kind of comic cool I've series. ever been able to do. That was really, yeah, that was fun, and it. At the time, did they ever it, reprint that in a trade? No, they never did. Did they? It, Dan DiDio never liked it. He thought it was kind of not his version in his mind mm. of what the question was. So he never shame. Don't wanted to do it. They've now you can get it digitally. But, I'm sure. You know who cares? <laughs> but yeah, that they wanted to make it part of a Superman mm. crossover thing. Oh really? Oh God! So they said it had to take place in Metropolis. And it, oh no! So we're like, and then we. Got everybody was like, "Why are they putting that book in Metropolis?" Because they made us. Yes. And I said, "Well, why do we even have a book? Why do we have a superhero in Metropolis? Because they have Superman." And then Rick was like, "That's the story, man. You know, like we got to answer that question. You know." And so sometimes when you're put in a sometimes you can decide you solve things. It can work sometimes because you're forced to. You're yes. put in a corner in a way yes. and then we came up with something we wouldn't have done otherwise it was cool yes i'm gonna ask i don't know i do want to ask you about turf a little bit yeah i mean obviously that was a different kind of project because it was you know for a british magazine and it was kind of serious well, no, it, was, it, was, it was for uh, it, was image, it was for image it was image yes yeah the, the stuff a, mark's magazine came later clint oh okay yeah. oh, okay so it was originally done for for image for image so that was something yeah. that you co-created as well yeah with jonathan ross yeah so i mean can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. That that was Jonathan had like maybe six or seven ideas, and he had liked a book I did with Mark Miller called 1985 for Marvel. That was a great book as well. Yeah, it was that fun. was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was like the alternate Marvel thing, wasn't it? Yeah, before that, I did one called Bullet Points with Straczynski, but it didn't have the story. It was kind mm. of like, eh, you know, but Mark's had a lot of heart. Punch. Yeah, yeah. it was I actually was emotionally invested in it which is kind of rare for me mm. um <laughs> yeah, i read it and was really moved um, yes so yeah and then jonathan like that and then mark introduced us to each other and jonathan had a bunch of ideas and one of them was not at all developed and it was just gangsters with vampires and yes. i was like all right let's do that yes and he's like i have no ideas yes as beyond you know so then we just started you know messing around with it and that that this is that is the comic I'm most proud of. Is it? I mean, the one it, was, it was really lovely yeah. work. I mean, it looked amazing. It was so much work. It was very detailed, wasn't it? Visually, yeah. It was a lot of reference, and yeah, I remember nuts. the pages being completely insane. Yeah, and and a lot of it was helping Jonathan because he hadn't done a comic before. So guiding him for scripting and things. And yeah, stuff and like spatial that. things, and how yes. to make it work, and how to make it fit, and and teaching, and we don't need all the dialogue <laughs> yeah, he was quite happy on the dialogue wasn't he yeah, yeah but but it was cool because by the time issue five rolled around i think he had finally nailed it you know? yes um but i'm really proud of it oh cool it's, yeah. a, it's a great looking book and obviously you worked with edgar Wright as well on the microsoft project and i've completely forgotten his bloody name oh yeah it's called um uh <laughs> the random adventures of brandon generator right. so how did that come about that was um mike a, a company that was doing developing some projects for random for uh, Microsoft. Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft was coming out with a new browser and all these kinds of things, and they wanted to do something that would showcase some of their new technologies. But they didn't want to do anything like they were like, "Oh, maybe like a motion comic." And I'm like, "Ah, motion comics are always kind of crappy." Yes. And I was like, "But we could use some of those techniques, though." And 
you know, and use After Effects and things like that. But we also can use sound and actors and all these things that motion comics don't. So I had an idea of doing something where why don't we make it an interactive story where we have, uh, you know, something that happens and then the audience gets to participate and sort of suggest what happens in the next chapter, knowing that would be a pain to bid and then we had to draw and animate the next chapter. Yeah. So, and I was it's a like, lot of work. Yeah. So I was like, well, I think I know who would be able to do that really well with the writing would be Edgar Wright. So I yes. recommended Edgar and he accepted the job and we would write, uh, you know, he would kind of come up with like, it was all about a writer with writer's block who literally yes. just couldn't come up with what was going to happen next. And he did everything except for actually write, you know, everything except to work. You know, he would just drive around and he would make word salad and he would, you know, play with Scrabble letters and all this stupid stuff that writers and anybody creative can sometimes do to almost procrastinate. Yes. And then, but then when it, so after the first episode, well, at the end of the first episode, each one was about seven minutes long. And he looks outside and he sees that his whole world is erasing and he's asking us, the viewer, for help. And then we would go on the website and you could call Brandon's dictaphone, leave messages. You could call his mobile and leave messages. You could draw on a notepad and draw ideas and monsters and stuff. And then um, all kinds of different stuff. You could write prose. Yes. And then it looked like it was Brandon's desk. So I would do an illustration of the desk. You would click on it and interact with it. And then... And then Edgar and I would have to go through thousands of submissions. Jesus. And get through lots of, you know, like dick pics and yeah, stuff. Yeah, cool, I can imagine. And then basically, um, eventually, um, and then and then in the next, the following episodes, it was like with contributions from, we had these huge all these of credits oh, because Jesus. we got all these ideas from people and put them into the next episode it was so i had to do each episode i had a small team so how many episodes did you create of those uh, four oh okay so i think but it must be very labor intensive yeah it was a lot of work to do and it's because the interactive elements it wasn't just a drawing job it was a drawing job and this animation so i had so i had me and a and a production manager in my studio in north carolina then i had a couple animators in um, Philadelphia and Los Angeles, yes. and a guy, a couple guys, Rodolfo DiMaggio built well, some models for me. He's so talented. He was in LA. He's a phenomenal. I remember and you showed then, me that John yeah. Carter. Oh yeah, wasn't that Rodolfo? Yeah, the animatic. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. I, I I'll tell you then. Like, okay. Um, um uh, and then uh, David Holmes, you know, was the composer. Oh, he wow. did the music. Oh, he's amazing, in, amazing he's composer. Belfast. A very talented man. The guy who did the the voice was. Um, Julian Barrett, of course, yeah, from Mighty Boosh. Yes, so yeah, it was, it was a really cool project. Yeah, it was really nice. I'm really just... proud of it. Yeah, <laughs> and that was kind of more and more personally, creatively. I, I'm enjoying well, more and more yes. of those kinds of jobs where we get to do more collaboration. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting tired of being in the studio by myself, you know, and slaving away. Which was cool when you're like a kid, you know. But um, I, I really do enjoy being with other people and working together to come up with some cool solutions. So you worked, stuff. was it on a film or a movie or a music promo a couple of years ago? Oh, well, there was, well, was it Android? That yes. Film? Yeah, there was a, there was a, an album being made at uh, Ed Banger Records in France uh, called Van, uh, a soundtrack called Vandroid from a movie. And I was like, you guys made that up. And, <laughs> and they did. It was a, a fake 80s soundtrack, synth soundtrack. And I had an idea 
we should actually write the story to this. And then, so we wrote the story... To, to this fictional film. To a film that didn't really exist. So oh, we fantastic. pretended we found the screenplay. Someone oh. found the screenplay. Oh, cool. And found the trailer. Yeah. So I shot and made the trailer to a movie that doesn't exist. And nice. it looks great. I'm really proud of it. And it's about... It's one of those old 80s style trailers where they show you the whole movie. Cool. Just ruin People it like jumping through the fire with the cars. <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah. So it's really People cheesy. People on motorbikes. And... Yep. So it's about a guy who makes vans. Yeah. <laughs> he made custom vans in the 1970s. Yes. But now it's the 80s and is a big loser uh, cocaine addict. And But uh, but then there's a guy who's developed this AI and they need to ma- they're going to make a robot. And, and the, the van. So the van gets taken over by the AI. Well, no. Sort kind of, of. Sort of, yeah. The guy, so the guy who makes the, <laughs> the robot, he's such a genius because, of course, he makes vans. Of course. Um, so and and he builds the robot, but in his own image from when he used to like himself. Oh really? It's so oh, messed that's up. That's funny. That does sound it's really funny. Messed up. And the robot then kills him. Okay. And takes his life over. <laughs> we got to to try and make the film. Then, so well, so then we did a comic. Yeah. And it put it out through Dark Horse. Oh, that's right. Called Vandroid, and it's a five issue thing, and it was drawn by Dan McDade. He's very who's good. Yes. From the UK. Yeah. And um, uh, I don't want to make the movie, but I thought about. Getting funny. someone else to do it. No, I think it'd be fun to do a documentary about. Oh, like a making make of thing, yeah. like a Lost in La Mancha type thing. Yeah, that or like be, like Troll Two, you know, yes. kind of like yeah, yeah. trying to track down. But I wanted, I want I have an idea of like doing it like as a love letter to those movies. Yes. Um, and actually go and interview guys like John Carpenter and Walter Hill. And cool. These people and and they would be in on the joke and say yeah there was these crazy italians that, that tried to make this, this film thing. in the 80s and everything we threw in the garbage ended up on their set and oh, that's funny you know and so i was talking to max landis about it yes because he and i did a superman thing and then max got in all kinds of internet trouble and um uh, so i don't know we'll see but okay cool um i was gonna ask you well i was gonna ask you about fury road obviously because you did covers you also did one of the strips for the mad max fury road comic didn't you, you did one of the shorts DC did the comics. I don't remember. I think you did. Okay. <laughs> but did you uh, did you work with uh, Miller at all on that or any no, of that stuff? No. Was it just a licensing job? Yeah. Well, he he made a really cool video. George Miller made a nice video to send to all of us, like a few. Oh, like of us. It, I really just give you some pointers, yeah, basically. Yeah, and just kind of okay. This is the world. These are the rules. This is you know, um, and yeah, that was pretty cool. But then, in an effort to try and do more of stuff that I really wanted to do, more collaborative things, I just kind of started to do less. After Turf and stuff, I started trying to... Do more of your own things. Yeah, and and I was getting tired of, like, drawing everybody else's ideas all the time. Yes. And and so I I took an old an old uh, idea I had, actually, when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't funny, because I was 14, and I thought everything I did was awesome. <laughs> um, so it was about a raging vigilante, you know. <laughs> Um, so super unique uh, in the 80s. And then um, it became an ongoing joke because Howard Chaikin found my old comics when we shared a studio. Oh, really? And he found these old comics that I did when I was a kid, and he laughed till he was crying. Really? And um, so throughout the past 20 years, it became an ongoing joke between, joke between us. And then I, eventually there was a producer who ran Film Roman who was, yes. they did The Simpsons and Futurama, yeah, a whole course. bunch of stuff. And they said, you know, I think that thing would be a funny TV show. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's stupid. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I, I developed it as a show, and they 
partnered up with me and I wrote and directed a short. Oh, nice. And then we uh, pitched it to Netflix and they said, if you can get a big showrunner and an actor, we'll do the show. So then I got Bill Oakley to showrun it. He wrote it was a produced, Simpsons guy, wasn't he? Yeah, Simpsons, Futurama, Portlandia. And then we and then Andy Samberg saw it and um, who's he has a show called Brooklyn Nine Nine and he was on Saturday Night Live yes. in the States. So he, he wanted to play the lead and produce it. So it was all good. Yes, except. Yeah, and then I was like, well, we have to pitch it to Fox first because Andy's tight with them. And so then it gets into politics. We pitch it to them. They want it, like, in the room. You know, they're like, we want this thing. And, yes. and which they're all excited about. I'm like, cool, this gives us leverage with Netflix. Yes. And Andy's like, well, but we, I mean, they want to do it, you know. Fox. Yeah, so we yeah. should do it with them. Yeah. And then Bill Oakley leans over and says, they're never going to make this show at Fox. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you're just being negative. It was like the episode, was it Seinfeld? There was an episode of Seinfeld that was like that. You know, yeah. a business meeting about the show. Yeah. You know, it's and a show right. about nothing. Do you remember that? Yeah. Go, What's the show about? It's about nothing and it sounds great. Yeah. And, and it, nothing and ever it, gets made. It's, you can see where everyone gets very cynical because, and it's hard not to get your hopes up because here I am like, oh, great, I'm getting to make TV my show, thing. But yeah. you've got to be realistic. three years later now, it's not going to be at Fox. No. Andy's now exclusive at Fox. Oh, really? So now we're going elsewhere with a new actor. Oh, okay. And who knows? Yeah, you know? well, and TV then, so fickle, aren't they? TV, and film, yeah. You never know what's going. So, on. and then there's a you know Lex Records in London. They're a, a, a independent I, uh, music I, I, I label. I don't know. I met. They um, uh, produced um, an animated thing I did with a composer called Strata. Oh, cool. And then so I've been doing more of that. And then that we set up as a TV show, animated show for YouTube Red. Nice. And then eight episodes. I was writing and directing all of it. And then they had a meeting and a new woman came in running the production she said wait this is animated but it's not for kids i said yeah it's like you know it was like you know if you meshed some american comics with manga and 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 french you know mobius stuff you know it was all the shit that i liked and then she's like oh it's not for kids we're not going to do it so they shut it down seriously yeah so but now we're back to life because what i do is i won't sell it to them until it goes to series so like with the show at fox you know develop it they pay me well to write the pilot and stuff and i get to develop it but then um unless it unless like not until it's like okay we're making this show and it's going to series then i'm like okay now it's yours um so same thing with with strata so so now so same thing. Now we've got a couple of actors I'm pretty excited about. Oh, cool. I'm going to ask you about the Superman thing, and then I want to move on to the art book. Okay. So the thing you did with Max Landis, I mean, how did that come about? Well, that was a, each issue was a different, different artist, artist yeah. and Max was doing a story of uh, different parts of Superman's life. Yes. And um, the editor and I had worked together. Actually, he edited... The, the Fury Road stuff. Was it Alex Antoine? Yeah, yeah. I don't know him, but I know yeah. the name. And um, um, and then Max liked my work, and they tried wanted to get me to do it. And at first, I wasn't that interested until I read the script, and it was about Clark as a teenage kid in Kansas, and it was, I was well suited for it, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, cool. And you'd that, well, actually you'd drawn Superman before you joined him for the, you know, for the movie project, and you had done some. Oh, work. yeah. I oh, went to Australia to work on that. How was that? Terrible movie. You said um, it was a bit of a. It wasn't <laughs> a great. I know. I know. Superman Returns, Brian Singer. 
Um, well, Ralph I was, was good. He's great. Leader, but the film is terrible. Yeah. It Brendan Ralph is, is he was, great. He was and he's a real sweet guy. I'm sure. Super nice. Um, so, I mean, you're all Superman for, for the you know for the one-off with Max. Did you try and make it kind of slightly nostalgic, your approach, in terms of the look of it? Because it's obviously a, it's a nostalgic story because it's about his growing up and about a little Kansas bit I, I think it's i think we sort town. of make it sort of timeless but you know they're driving certain kinds of cars that make you think of nostalgic america you know so like, like 50s americana basically yeah but, but you don't want to age it that much because if you think okay well if clark is operating now he's supposed to be 27 allegedly this is yeah you know, this mythical batman and superman is supposed to be 27 forever really that's what i read that's this, is, this was the old days i like yeah. 10 or 15 years ago huh. i read that they said that these characters were supposed to be about 27 that's funny apparently yeah i'd like to be 27 forever <laughs> that'd be kind of cool <laughs> but yeah so yeah, it was just um, part of it is just the nature of the setting and stuff too. You know, you've got uh, Kansas and, and the nature of Smallville is a place that's sort of trapped in time. Mm. You know, so so you know the way I drew like the police deputy's car is that kind of you know American police car from that I grew up with. You yeah. Know? So it's everything looks very timeless. Oh, cool. So I guess I want to talk to you about the art book. So I mean, how did you pick your pieces for that? Oh, the one, the, the analog, the, analog, one, that the one that's out. currently out. Yeah, that's something that we, um, Essential Sequential is a, just a group of us, um, and kind of like our art dealer, this guy, Jason, who... Yes, I met is, Jason at New York a couple mm, of times. He represents Cully as well, doesn't he? Yeah, and, Cully and, and, and um, um, Matteo Scalera yes. and, and Sean Crystal and Eric Canetti and Dave Johnson. A lot and, of great artists. You know, we all would set up together at the show and what's nice is jason will kind of just handle it and yes and it's nice to be able to not always have to be in charge of everything yourself and cart all your stuff and no exactly sell, you know it's nice to have some help and set up with a, a group of guys and feel like you're part of a team again i keep coming to that theme where it's like doing more stuff with other people but um uh i've been doing a lot of uh, i started doing like couple years ago like just kind of like private commission stuff like we would do for people at con conventions and stuff yes and, and um i started doing these um because i've been doing a lot of sometimes they do a lot of digital stuff uh, like drawing on the cintiq tablet in photoshop that's how i did most of the book of eli or certain movie projects oh and then there's that 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 terrible um <laughs> sherlock gnomes oh god yeah you know I was the concept artist. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a job. Wouldn't you be able to guess that looking at my no, work? No, exactly. Yes, it seems like a natural. I actually, I did some really cool paintings for that. But, of course, they were like, everything I did was too scary. <laughs> you know? The same thing on Sinbad way back. They're like, this is scary. I don't know if kids will like this. I'm like, the kids want to be scared, man. But anyway. Um, so, uh, but that, that director, his name's Sean Stevenson. Yes. Who directed that. He and I worked on some stuff at DreamWorks way back, and he directed Kung Fu Panda. So, you know, so there's a lot of, again, going back to the people you know and connecting that you yes. enjoy working with. Yes. I enjoy working with John. I didn't care if it was... A project that seems silly like gnomes or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he and I, for a long time, were developing a, for Warner Brothers, for Joel Silver, a, a He-Man Masters of the Universe movie. Oh, really? So, yeah, that never got made. And then... Um, 
but anyway, yeah, I've been doing a lot of these kind of paintings uh, for people that were commissions, and that's how I chose what was going to go in the art book. Because all kind of private things. There's nothing I did. There was a hire for. There were a couple things in there. I was hired by like a theater. So these are personal projects mostly. Yeah, mostly. So some things would be like a theater would hire me to do a piece for like a a retro screening of a film, and we'd have a poster, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it kind of for me is a way to. Um, Paint so, a lot of things I'm a fan of. So this is like a snapshot of stuff that you've done recently, basically, and more yeah. personal projects. Yeah. And then it helped balance out um, the past year I've been designing a movie. I was working as production designer on a film for Kerry Conran, who did um, Sky Captain. And oh, that's right. How's that going, the new film? It's, you is know... It, it's, it's still in pre-production? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like at that, you know, where a lot of these movies where we get to a certain point and we have money, we can start filming, but then we want more money <laughs> yeah. so we can make it even better. And, and then all the, the suits go out there and try and get more money and do more deal making. And, and then while those, those creative types sit and cross our fingers and hope they can make something happen. So Carrie had, had, uh, was uh, making the John Carter of Mars movie. and then Which is a shame because that would have been... Yeah, I, been still, I still like the movie, but... It's but, not bad. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's maligned because Disney changed, obviously, they changed the higher-ups and they, did, they were embarrassed by the film. I think it, it had definitely had something. Yeah, I think it was it one of these films that Disney didn't really want to release and they, they put it out because they spent the money, but they, they weren't that keen. Yeah, so Carrie's had a lot of, you know, like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll you know, it's like when I was just talking about my show with Fox, you can sort of sit and be kind of bummed out because you spent all this time trying to make something. and But yeah, everybody has that. True. Yeah. Um, and here's Carrie has had only really one movie ever finally come out that was all him. You know, so it's tough. Yeah, it's tough to. Um, but the new movie is there's only it's just me and so it's him. much lower budget, theoretically. Theoretically, <laughs> hopefully more. And right now it's like, is it going to be a you know Netflix level thing or a theatrical you know big tentpole movie? You know, that kind of thing. That's where we are right now. Oh, okay. I want to ask you about your show, actually, because I realize that we should talk about it. You've done <coughs> the comic show that you've been putting on, which you've done. Oh, yeah. Is it the last three or four years now? How long have you been running it for? It must be at It'll least It'll be that. nine years. Wow. Ne next year will be the seventh, or this is the, the seventh year that I'm co-owner of it. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, so how it's did called that, North Carolina Comic How did that happen? My local shop owner um, wanted to do a convention because a comic book show that, um, you know, kind of like what you've done here is uh, um, do something for your town that you didn't really have anything going on. Yes. There's another convention in North Carolina, uh, Heroes Con, yes. which is six months you know, on the other side of the year. We thought, yes. well, let's make something else, else that's yes. like on the other side you know, six months away. Yes. And it's also three hours away. That, so that's it's not that close completely. geographically. No. Even though Shelton doesn't like that we did another show. And, really? Is there a little bit of blood? Is <laughs> yeah. there? There's always got to be. Well, I suppose. <laughs> um, we haven't encountered that yet. I'm sure we will at some point. Oh, yeah. Somebody will be like, oh, well, I own Portsmouth. You know, I get to do shows. Because there are no comic shows here. Really? <laughs> no, this is... Well, now, that's been the, the hard thing for me, though, and from a business standpoint, is that it is very hard to put on a convention. It's a lot of work. So it's a lot of work, a lot of expense. And, and when we started doing it, um, 
my whole thing is I get to use my uh, unique experience as usually a guest at the shows, yes. so I can kind of approach the convention from that side. So, okay, and what's you help, going? you get friends in as guests, yeah. you invite friends, artists and writers to come along at the show. Yeah, and, and most of them have such a great time that they're like, all right, can I'll I please recommend come back every time? Well. Or, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's good. It's fun. So, yeah, pretty much every... So, it's more of a... It's a very much a curated show. Yeah. So, all the guests, obviously, but even Artist Alley and everybody is because there's not a lot of space. Yeah. We get about twelve to 15,000 people. So, as an American show, it's... Obviously, for here, that would be pretty big, but for an American <coughs> show, it's slightly it's a bit smaller. Than yeah. That. It's more of an intimate experience. Yeah. <coughs> and so, does Chris... So, in terms of the, like, the workload... Does Chris, or I mean, do you split it, or I guess with your, your schedule is probably a bit more challenging, so does Chris do more on the show, or, or do you sort oh. of split it? Well, well, Alan is the is the shop owner. That oh, sorry, Chris is the guy I've talked to, work, yeah, you work with Chris on the show. Chris does the art direction yes. stuff. Yeah, I started pulling in more help. Because I guess you had to. Yeah. Um, Alan handles all the money business stuff, and I handle the... So you go to him and say, stuff. I've got a friend of mine who's an artist, I'd like to bring him over <clears throat> to the show, and, and you have a conversation. Alan and then goes, he says, no, we can't afford it, exactly. and then we fight about it. And, and then and you might get, and eventually you get <laughs> yeah, through it. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so yeah, we're, um, and then some people are, I mean, there is a little bit of a selfish side of it for me, because I'm you like... You promote your own stuff. No, it, no. actually, I, I don't do that at all, no, hardly, because I'm too busy running the show, true. I don't even set up. Do you host panels there? <clears throat> oh, yeah. You do? That's the biggest part of the show, actually. You don't host all of the panels, obviously. I mean, no, no. But, but some of them. But all the big panels. Like we had, like when the Young Animal line came out. You had that, Gerard come, didn't you? Yeah, Gerard Way and I created this book called Mother Panic. And so so all the Young Animal creators came out. DC came out. Nice. Everything, and we had a big panel with everybody. And DC did some you know, tie-in stuff and yes. give us the license to do some oh, cool. young animal stuff for the show and, you know, that. And then we'll do, like, Klaus Jansen and I did a, uh exclusive cover that came out only at oh, cool. North Carolina Comic Con. So what have you got planned for November? <clears throat> this year we've got um, a, a, a new artist that I didn't know up until this year named Peach Momoko, who's uh, from Japan. Oh, cool. She's coming over, who's a really good manga artist. I thought it would be good to get someone international um, yeah and like we get some international guests like um mateo scalera yes. came and he'll be coming back and becky clunan and um uh, jim mafood nice you know so all these are all they kind of have become like the family of the convention now um so uh kevin eastman cool um james obar from nice. the, the crow so so it'll be kind of <clears throat> so sometimes we'll get you know, different artists from different generations. And this hasn't been announced yet, but a person who always would come to our shows um, but has been really busy and not able to in the past couple of years, he just messaged me yesterday saying, okay, I can do it. And it's a Mitch Gerads who did Nice. Some. He won. We did our awards thing, oh, as you saw, and Mitch won. Yeah. Or Mr. Miracle won <coughs> our best new series. Yeah. Which is oh, very Nick cool. Nick coming, too. Yeah, Nick's a great covers. artist. He's yeah. a phenomenal artist. Yeah. yeah he's right. I think he's pretty good as well, you know. Um, but yeah, it's cool because, and like John Barrowman's come and but the thing about is I, I don't want to have any celebrities or anything, no, no, but then you say, comics. okay, well I've got that, but yeah. then John and his sister write a whole series of books yes. called Hollow Earth. Oh, cool. And so John Barrowman and his sister Carol, they'll do a, uh, writing workshop. Nice. So during the show and then, 
Um, and then Gerard, who happens to be, you know, from Michael Michael Romance, who's got a huge following with that. Does he always come? <coughs> Not always. He's obviously quite busy, but... He mostly always comes. He'll be there because, in November, probably. I know he's your friend. Yeah, I'm not so. sure, but yeah, that's the thing. Is you're, you're probably it's an talking. excuse to hang out. Exactly. That's exactly so it. that's one of my next comics is me and Gerard are doing something now. Oh, cool. For Dark Horse. Oh, nice. Well, I guess before we wrap up, does anybody <clears throat> have any questions for Tommy? No? Okay. Well, listen, thank you. Thanks for coming. Oh, go on. Please. What's your advice to somebody starting off? Well, it depends on starting off to do comics. Okay. Um, well, it's a, a lot of it is um, like when I mentioned my education of, of uh, being kind of um, very traditional. Um, I would say that's a good way to go. Is obviously you're going to have to. You're gonna. Everyone has their influences and their you know and their inspiration they get from other people's work um, and stuff, but. More than anything, I always try and tell everyone to draw uh, from life, you know. So, so drawing from the model and, you know, life drawing, all those kinds of things is the stuff that was, uh, like, there's no way I could do what I do without having done that. Um, and, and then even, I mean, sometimes you can uh, draw stuff that depends on the kind of approach you have. If you're drawing a, you know, a location or a certain time period or a certain kind of car or a certain kind of, you know, weapon or a certain kind of, you know, whatever. I usually research the living crap out of that. Some people just pull it all out of, out of their head. So it depends. There's no real right or wrong on some of that stuff. But I would suggest always kind of trying to do the research. You have to, if you have to draw, you know, uh, you know, this kind of a room or a microphone or a camera stand or, you know, there's no reason why now with the internet you can't make it proper, you know, and make make sure that it looks like the real deal. You know, that's another thing is, and then it's hard to keep that kind of stuff consistent, you know. But also, and then comics specifically, a lot of people starting out they'll show their portfolio and all they have are like pinups and covers, and it's really good to make sure you have a lot of um, storytelling pages in there. You know, try and have like a three or four page, five page sequence of of stuff so that you know you can get some feedback on that and that's what I did when I did that crappy system shock book I said I could show it to I showed it to Howard Chaikin and at school I had one teacher who did comics but it was old comics trips and it was Bern Hogarth who did oh, the wow. Tarzan strips in the 30s and he did all the dynamic figure drawing classes the, the books and everything so he was an excellent teacher but I at the same time as a you know 19 year old kid I was like I, w I really want to see what a more of a contemporary uh, creator would think and maybe what kind of feedback could I get from them and one of my favorite artists in the 80s when I was a kid trying to get better was Howard Chaikin so I went and met Howard at a convention and he ripped me apart and then we became friends <laughs> cool thanks very much Tommy thank you mate alright thanks guys thanks, thanks for coming I'll come by I want to get a couple of pieces. Thank you.